Hello, and welcome to This Week I Learned, your audio guide to the most surprising discoveries and fascinating studies of the week. I'm your host, Lauren Hansen. This week I learned you're probably charging your iPhone wrong. First, a quick primer on how batteries work. So basically, it's a series of chemical reactions. So like when your remote goes dead and you replace the batteries, those new double A's are storing chemical energy. So when you click them in, they're basically completing a circuit and that chemical energy is converted to electrical energy that travels out one end of the battery powering the remote and then back into the battery on the other end. This flow goes in only one way. That electrical chemical reaction cannot be reversed. So basically when the chemical reaction stops, the batteries are dead. But in rechargeable batteries, like lithium ion batteries found in our smartphones, that flow of electrons can change directions, basically bringing those chemical reactions back to life, back to their original state. But the thing is, these lithium ion batteries are sensitive and can be easily stressed, which wears on that chemical reaction and makes your batteries run out faster. But what's interesting is that the smartphone batteries aren't stressed in the way that you'd expect. Now, I've been trained to believe that charging my phone several times during the day is bad. That constant on and off, on and off charge, I thought, is what stressed out the battery. So I usually let it run out and then plug it in at night. But I have it all wrong. Lithium ion batteries actually don't need to be fully charged. And in fact, it's better if they aren't. Letting your phone get to 100% stresses the battery out. When it reaches full capacity, the battery gets these trickle charges to keep it at that 100%, which basically keeps the battery in a high-stress, high-tension state, which can wear down the chemistry over time. Let me give you a little analogy. Picture an Olympic weightlifter. He's got the biggest weights he has. He's lifting them onto his legs. He's got them at his chest and then he shoves them over his head and then he holds it there for like just a second and then drops it. This is your battery. The Olympic weightlifter is your battery. When the battery gets to 100%, when the weight is over his head, if you keep it there, it'll just run out. It'll fatigue. We need to let it relax. Unplug your phone before it gets to 100%. Give it a rest after its Herculean feet. And in addition to not leaving your phone plugged in all night, actually don't let the battery run down to nothing. In fact, scientists encourage you to plug it in several times a day. The best case scenario would be to charge your phone whenever it loses about 10% charge. Just pop it on the plug for 30 minutes and you're good to go. This week I learned the mystery of the most lightning prone place on earth has been solved. At the top of Venezuela is Lake Maracaibo, which is connected to the Caribbean by a river. And where this river meets the lake is the most electrical place on Earth. The area gets 260 storms per year. Now, when you're this close to the equator, summer storms are very frequent, but these are no average summer storms. They can not only be fierce, but the lightning on Lake Maracaibo is frequent and densely packed. On a bad night, there can be as many as 280 strokes of lightning per hour, turning the sky into a bright white wall of light. While this is a draw for tourists, the so-called everlasting storm has mystified scientists for decades. 
One early theory suggested that uranium deposits in the bedrock attracted the lightning. Another said the abundance of methane from the Venezuelan oil fields below boosted the conductivity in the air. But neither of those theories were proved. Now, scientists have finally figured it out. The cause for the lightning is an air current that moves in two ways with the regularity of a clock. Either the air current blows in and disperses the clouds, or the air current sweeps moisture from the Caribbean Sea over the Maracaibo Basin, where it becomes trapped by the mountains. There, between the lake's surface and the clouds, with nowhere else to go, the air and the moisture moves up with such a force that the movement creates these large, lightning-ready thunderclouds. Now that scientists have identified the cause and tracked it, they've actually found that the air current moves with such a seasonal predictability that they can actually forecast lightning. Well, they actually can't forecast lightning. No one can, but they can forecast the dangerous and ferocious conditions which would bring on lightning and which helps out the locals enormously. This week I learned the simple-sounding utterances of a young orangutan named Rocky may be a key to understanding how human speech evolved. Humans, as you know, speak, apes do not. It's long been believed that the sounds of apes make are driven by arousal, which isn't under the ape's control. So the theory goes that since our closest relatives can't learn to produce new sounds, and because speech is a learned behavior, speech could not have originated from them. But Rocky is changing that theory. In a study, a researcher made random sounds with variations in the tone or pitch of her voice, and Rocky mimicked those sounds. Here, take a quick listen. Just to make sure those sounds were original and learned, the team went back and compared Rocky's sounds against a huge database of more than 12,000 hours of orangutan calls from more than 120 different orangutans. And they were able to conclude that Rocky's sounds were in fact new, proving that he was able to control his voice in a conversational context. This information is huge. It indicates that our ability to speak may have actually evolved from apes and that it's possible great apes are learning new calls that resembled vowels and consonants as far back as 10 million years ago. This week I learned that more animals grieve their dead just like humans do. Perhaps you've heard those heartbreaking stories of chimps mourning their dead, or of elephant mothers standing vigil over the body of their young for days on end. Well, new research identifies seven species of marine mammals, including killer whales and bottlenose dolphins, that now also show definitive signs of mourning. Researchers set out across the earth, from the Red Sea and the Indian Ocean, to the waters surrounding the San Juan Islands near Washington to observe these mammals. An Indo-Pacific bottlenose dolphin they found was seen pushing the corpse of a smaller dolphin through the water. The extreme decay of the little dolphin indicated that this pushing behavior had likely gone on for several days, if not more. 
Researchers eventually lassoed the dead dolphin and towed it to shore, and the older dolphin was seen swimming alongside the boat, sometimes touching the little dolphin. It swam up until the waters became dangerously shallow, and then it remained just offshore long after the carcass had been brought to land. Another expedition found that a killer whale that scientists had identified as recently giving birth was seen trying to keep its dead calf above the water surface, kind of balancing it on the top of her head. Now, the key to identifying true mourning behavior and not just our human need to anthropomorphize our favorite animals is looking for actions that disrupt the animal's routines and even threaten their own survival. So like the dolphin swimming too close to shore or a whale pushing a corpse for days on end means that that whale isn't eating or is eating significantly less. And all of this would go against their evolutionary instincts. Now, all of these grieving animals, the examples I've given, primates, elephants, whales, dolphins, are highly intelligent animals, which might explain the depth of their grief. But there is also evidence of more simple creatures mourning their dead. Barbara King, professor and author of How Animals Grieve, tells the story of two ducks named Cole and Harper. They were saved from a foie gras factory and they bonded. But when Cole became too sick and had to be put down, Harper seemed downright bereft. He wouldn't socialize with other ducks, was fearful again of humans, and most heartbreakingly, would seek out a particular pond where he and his buddy Cole would go. This kind of behavior may be proof that many more creatures than we realize mourn their dead. And that does it for this week's episode of This Week I Learned. Look out for new episodes every Friday on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. To learn more about the facts I've mentioned or to check out the week's selection of podcasts, including 7-Minute Opinions and 7-Minute Explainers, go to theweek.com slash audio. And if you like what you hear, tell your friends, subscribe, or give us a rating or a review on iTunes. I'm Lauren Hansen, and thank you so much for listening. I'm Josh Barrow. And I'm Lynette Lopez. And this is Hard Pass, the podcast that definitely doesn't want to go to spin class with you. (laughs) Every Monday, Josh and Lynette will unpack, examine, and dismiss something you've been trying to ignore. Aspen's full of rich people who are more or less screaming, I'm rich, bitch. All these little nerds on Wall Street want to be just like him. The airlines are like flywheel. And as the airlines... I just don't like this. With each episode, you'll know more than you wanted, and that lunch at your desk will taste just a little bit better. Find us wherever you get your podcasts or at Hard Pass Podcast on Twitter.